What's going on, everyone? Alex De Silva, happy as Larry Group. I hope you are well, and welcome to another episode of The Feel Good Show. My guest this week is Mr. Tim Fargo. He is a father, entrepreneur, and aspiring athlete, which I definitely want to get into. Um, Tim has written a number of books. Um, he is an international speaker, a best-selling author, and he has also won the Inc. 500 uh, twice, which is, which is quite an achievement. So, Tim, thank you so much for being here, and, and welcome on the show. Hey, Alex. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate the, uh, the opportunity. Yeah, and how have you been? Uh, doing great. It's uh, it's actually um, I'm here. I think I mentioned I'm I'm here in Poland, and uh, we had a, like an absolute scorcher of like three weeks. Um, but now we're back to normal temperatures, so um, I can actually my aspiring athlete can go out for a run without melting. <laughs> yeah, it's. I'll tell you why. It's been exactly the same here in in the UK as well. With the 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 summer here has just been. For me, I think, you know, when we spoke earlier, you know, I'm from Brazil. So this kind of weather for me is, is bliss, you know, but now it's, um, yeah, it's come down to the, the cooler stages now, which, yeah, yeah. Is nice. yeah, which is nice, especially when you live in a country, you know, if you live in the US or if you live in Brazil, we're made for the hot country. But when you come to Europe, for some reason, they're just not made when it gets so hot for, for over a month. And you're looking at, you know, this scorching heat is not the most comfortable, is it? Yeah, well, it's interesting. I mean, like, because I spend part of the year in Florida, and if I'm next to the sea, I don't mind it as much. But mm. being in a landlocked city when it's yeah. in the 90s is just... I mean, all I can do is like, I mean, we have air conditioning. So, I mean, all I can do is like button up the apartment and like sit inside. It's kind of like being in a little sarcophagus. So. <laughs> no, definitely. Definitely. Well, look, I'm, I'm really interested in, in talking to start with about your, your career. Um, you know, you, I guess currently, you know, you, you have this, this startup called Social Jukebox. Um, but previously you, you went on, on quite a, an entrepreneurial journey, right? And, um, first of all, talk to me a little bit about Social Jukebox and then let's kind of take it all the way back. Um, what is Social Jukebox for, for, for those who don't know? Social Jukebox is an automated um, social media posting system, um, and we post to Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And it's basically like Hootsuite or Buffer, but your all your evergreen content is actually stored within our system, and it, you construct kind of your media calendar, so to speak, and your time slots that you want different things to post, and those things automatically get posted. So you have we call it social jukebox and you have a series of jukeboxes and you can set a schedule for each individual one. Um, and that dictates when those posts will be made. Now that business actually started by accident. Um, I was trying to promote my book alphabet success. Um, and like a lot of authors, I finished the book and I came out with it and I was waiting for the, just the avalanche of people to just start buying it. And I realized you actually have to have an audience. Um, so I went to social media, try to build one. Yeah. And I got really sick of posting and scheduling posts and things like that. And I was doing a lot of evergreen content and quotes and things like that. Um, and to me, though, that work was kind of monkey work. And I was not only the mechanics of posting, but also the other side of it was because I had quite a lot of content um, was having to manage the rotation of that content. Um, so 
ultimately, I asked a guy that used to be the head of IT for the company I sold. Um, he built the first system for me. It wasn't never meant to be resold. Um, it was just a product for me to post to Twitter. Um, and it had an interface that only a mother could love. Um, but it did the job. And um, I quickly found out that people were much more interested in how I was on social media all the time than they were in my book. Um, so at least having reasonable entrepreneurial instincts, I went, you know what, let's just abandon the book thing or put it to the side for now. Um, and then, you know, started signing up other people, improve the interface and um, then put up a payment gateway and people started paying. And now it's a, you know, it's a nice, viable, very cash flow positive business. Wow. That's really, really interesting. And, and it seems that, um, you know, the likes of Hootsuite and, you know, and, and social jukebox, I think that it, it makes interacting online, you know, in, on social media so much easier, right? Well, I mean, for me, the main thing is like, I think there's a whole, I mean, there's a lot of things in social media. Some things matter and some things don't. How your post gets there doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. So if you put your post into a system like Social Jukebox, you know, it's going to be posted for you on whatever Mm -hmm. rotation you put it on. What people do care about is the level of content that you've either created or curated to share. Um, cause that's what you'll become known for. So to me, that's, you know, investing your time in sharing meaningful content and then having the time to respond to people that respond to your content is infinitely more important than learning how to kind of master, you know, scheduling on an ongoing basis with a system. So, um, you know, I'm, I try to advocate with my clients cause it's super easy to like, you know, set it and forget it. Mm-hmm. Um, which I, I, you can do, but I encourage people to set it and, you know, and go back periodically and, and change it up. You know, you don't mm-hmm. want to have like a constant rotation of the same thing over and over again. It's going to alienate your audience, but definitely the benefit of products that help you share your content is that it gives you more time to do things that are meaningful for your audience. Yeah, no, definitely. I find it really interesting because, you know, for, me growing on on social media i found my success has been facebook you know that's where you know our our, our business has has kind of succeeded and but i just haven't been able to get the same traction on for example on twitter or you know instagram instagram's kind of growing slowly but and i've been doing some research and just kind of looking around and realized how much time you've got to spend on there you know and and i read uh something online a few months ago where you've got to post on twitter to really be seen um i think it's like 20 30 times a day and i thought wow like how can especially and you probably see this yourself you know running a business and you know we are a startup as well so it's me and and, and my wife and and um you know my son kind of jumps in and he helps us out with with some content but you know until we get to that point where we have people to to help us out it's us you know and, and the majority of our time has been spent you know, as, as you've mentioned on the important stuff, you know, building clients, you know, building the network. Um, we're going online now, you know, doing courses and stuff. So it's kind of building all of these things. And unfortunately, I found that, um, you know, my social media interaction is not been anywhere near as, you know, as what it's saying online is what it should be. Um, sure. 
So, you know, is that why you did it? You know, why you kind of created that for yourself and then it sort of expanded into the business is to kind of help you manage that time? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I think freeing up the time that you spend um, just like getting information out there because, and I think one of the hardest parts that we've had, like when we're indoctrinating or teaching whatever a new client is, people will say, well, I don't want to share it again because I already shared it. You know, but I mean, to me, that's a little bit like, well, okay, the Beatles recorded Hard Day's Night. I mean, were they going to play the song once and then move on to the next song? Mm-hmm. I mean, just because it's old for you doesn't mean it's old for your audience. Now, I mean, I wouldn't encourage you to share the same thing over and over again. I mean, I think things need to be spaced apart. But, you know, not everyone lives on social media and, not, you know, like not everyone is staring at Twitter all day. Not everyone's staring at Facebook all day. Um, so, by rotating content, you have an opportunity to get something in front of someone when they happen to be paying attention. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the challenge is, you know, we don't operate channels where, you know, we haven't, at least I haven't, um, risen to the level of importance where somebody going to go, oh, my God, I'm going to tune in at 11 a.m. to see what Tim's posting. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it's important, you know, if you're not famous or don't have, you know, some like built, you know, built up audience to share things often enough that you, you know, you develop a following and you develop people who want to come to see you. But, you know, the, that first step is getting that content out there and, and recognizing that even a blog post that I have from five years ago is brand new for some people who just started following me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think people, the other people that follow you, I mean, as long as you're not like heavily repeating things over and over and over again, I, I think most people realize that, you know, that's just part of the process. Mm-hmm. Like if you ran a TV station, I mean, I think people realize that you're going to have new programming, but you're also going to have maybe an old episode of Friends or something. Yeah. Um, you know, you're not, they're not necessarily expecting every single moment of every single day to be brand new stuff they've never seen before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's very true. No, it's very interesting because it's in it, and this is the thing, isn't it? Is to understand and then realize, especially when you start out. And I speak to a lot of people. I love to to network, and a lot of people struggle with with that. You know, is to kind of find that right content, especially when you go online and and you listen on on YouTube. And every now and then, I kind of catch these videos, and there is a lot of people there talking about you know your content is key. You have to come up with, and I think there is a lot of pressure on people to. If, you know, as you just described now, you know, I haven't heard often anybody say, listen, you know, reuse some of that content because, you know, as you said, you might catch, uh, you know, uh, one part of your target audience at one time, but then six months down the line or a year down the line, you know, that could be reused again. Um, And it's not something that's kind of messaged, I think, clearly enough for some people. So, you know, it's good for people to understand that, definitely. Um, Talk me through... Um, how you kind of got to, to, to where you are. I guess, you know, I, I looked back a little bit and you started with your own events management company, right, in, in the 80s. Yeah, well, I mean, I've done a lot of things. I mean, I, you know, going way back, I mean, I cut grass, delivered newspapers, shoveled snow, um, ran errands for neighbors because my dad was a very tough um, guy to get money out of. Um, and the second piece of it was he not only want like, you know, first you had to ask him and then you had to answer the inevitable question why you wanted it. 
And that was the, actually the question that bugged me the most because I wanted to just – I wanted to do whatever I wanted with my money, right? Yeah. Um, so I ended up making my own so I could do that. Um, but starting from back then, I mean, you know, I had um, – I started a, a couple different <laughs> businesses. I mean, in college, um, one was great, and that was a tutoring business, which actually made money. Um, and then I started a, a, a business that just I completely slammed into the side of a wall. I mean, I, it wasn't a lot of money. I had like, um, I want to say like 15 grand um, dollars. And, um, I, and I mean, but that for a college student, that was a lot of money. Um, but I, I burned through that and, and got nowhere. Um, but I didn't. I didn't get what I wanted out of that, but I definitely learned some things um, from that. And I, I think, you know, um, long before even I had did the event marketing business, um, there were a lot of stepping stones that before I ultimately built something that was big and successful. I mean, there was a lot of, <laughs> there were a lot of crash landings um, that, that really were the lessons that built up to being able to have the kind of acumen to run uh, like a decent sized business, Mm -hmm. at least in my estimation. So, um, but the event marketing, I'd I'd graduated, I'd worked um, as a salesman in an IT business and I did an event with a buddy of mine and we had a blast and we, you know, we kind of did the math on how many people were there. Mm -hmm. um, And we thought, you know, if we do like three or four of these things a year, you know, it'd be nice money and, you know, and, and just having a great time, you know, kind of in the process. Mm -hmm. Um, so we did that. And then ultimately he decided to go back into his family's business. Um, Mm -hmm. and I decided that I desperately needed to move to California for some reason. Um, and so, you know, I mean, but there were lessons even in that. I mean, it was, it's a great business, but I can tell you event marketing is some, I mean, it, it's, it's super fun, but because everything you do is live, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's no, it's, it's a little bit like, it's not quite as horrific as running a restaurant, mm-hmm. um, but it's pretty close um, because, you know, you have your guests, you know, the people that are participating, not all of them end up being great people. Um, and sometimes the not so great people end up in, impacting the quality of fun that the other people are having. So you have to manage that. Yeah. And all this is happening in real time, yeah. you know, so um, it, it's interesting, but I, I can't recommend it as a really, it's fun, but it's not an easy way to make money. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and what kind of events were, were, were you running? So with this, um, was it a uni? Was it going to be in, in a, nightclub or no we did um like we did a road rally um which was i mean all this stuff ended up being um we modeled it after the thing we did which was a road rally um Mm -hmm. and then we did a scavenger hunt and we had events like this and the the structure of them was based on a single premise and that Mm -hmm. was um and a hybrid of the the event we did didn't do this but we would do like a scavenger hunt and the clues would take you, not all of them, but some of the clues would take you to a business. Right. And that was part of our pitch to clients was that, hey, you know, this isn't going to be an ad, you know, for people to maybe come by and check out what you've got. We will figure out a way to have one of our events, one of our clues or whatever, involve people actually entering your business. Oh, um, okay. So... 
you know, and, and plus you can put your literature and, you know, in our packet and stuff like that. So we were actually bringing people to them during the course of the event and there were photos being taken. So it was, I mean, that was kind of the core idea was that we were going to bring people into a business, um, in the course of an event so that, um, they'd get, the people participating would have a great time, but, and, but along the way we were kind of dragging them into a marketing experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, really interesting. Yeah. Really interesting. So, you know, what happened with, um, you, you mentioned to me about, you know, going into, into bankruptcy. Um, was that whilst you were, you were, you were doing the events management company? Um, that was like, that was the end of the, my partner had gone back to work in his family business and I was going to run it on my own and it was doing well. The problem was it wasn't doing as well as I was spending. <laughs> uh, um, so there was a little bit of a mismatch. And, and the problem is, you know, people would come to ask us to, you know, ask me at that point to do things. And I was, you know, dealing with like volunteers and contractors and stuff. Um, and so, you know, you'd get these deposits, but then, I mean, there were other things to spend money on and the events would be coming up. And, you know, I, I did something that I think happens to a fair number of people. I started kind of believing my own press releases, um, you know, that like I was this like, you know, (laughs) wunderkind, you know, like this really brilliant guy, like making all this money. Um, and you know, like I say, the, the reality was the business was making pretty good money, but it wasn't making nearly enough to support the kind of lifestyle that I started living. Um, and so in I mean, it was remarkable how, like, there was kind of this period of denial. Um, like, you know, kind of like a, like a, a novice surfer waiting for a wave, you know, and I'm paddling and paddling and I notice this wave behind me is getting bigger and bigger. And I'm like, no, I'll be able to do it. I'll be able to surf it, you know, and then I tried to catch the wave. And the next thing I know, I'm very far underwater trying, you know, like unable to breathe. Um, and that's kind of how the experience unfolded. Yeah. Um, you know, before I knew it, it was like, I thought I had a manageable situation and I was going to pull myself out of it. And by the time the scale of it really was driven home to me, it was really too late for me to do much about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of tied things up in a knot and, um, and then, you know, and going to bankruptcy court was a particularly humbling experience because I'd done pretty well in college and, you know, and I'd been pretty successful, whatever, um, you know, um, not a, again, not as successful as I had thought, but I went in, you know, you go to bankruptcy court, you know, it's not necessarily the greatest cast of characters um, yeah. that, you know, in that moment, you realize, like, you know, you can dress it up any way you want, but you're in the same exact boat as everyone else in this room. Mm-hmm. So you might want to take heed of some lessons lest you end up here again. Yeah. Um, and so it was, it was what I, it was what I needed. Um, mm-hmm. And I developed a much stronger respect for, you know, you don't spend the money until it's actually in your bank account. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, your expenses are covered, et cetera. 
mm-hmm. um, and started. I, I went from the kind of freewheeling spending guy to being much more, you know, kind of the conservative accounting kind of guy. So, yeah. Uh, So, and and that was going to lead on to, onto my next question, which, you know, going through that, um, that experience, um, what, what did you take away from that other than, than what you just mentioned, but, you know, going into business again afterwards, you then went on to build a very successful business. And uh, so what did you take away from, you know, from, from what happened previously that, you know, made the next venture so successful? Um, you know, I, 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 I can't state enough how important it is when you start to experience a measure of success, not to let it go to your head. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that might sound like the most basic lesson of all, but, um, I mean, when I started Omega, which is the successful business you're alluding to, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> I remember when my accountant, when I first hired him, and he, we were about a year and a half in, and he came to our office, and the normal, at least in the U.S., is about 300 square feet per employee, mm-hmm. and we had about 100 square feet per employee. Nobody had a desk. Everybody was sitting at a folding table. Um, and he came in and he's like, you know, he kind of, you know, s- slowly built, kind of came around to ask me, like, you know, what's the deal with, like, you know, why are you guys jammed in here like sardines? Mm. And I'm like, because we're trying to make money. That's what we're trying to do, you know. And, and But, but I... I I mean, and we were doing really well. I mean, we were definitely, we were like profitable from more or less day one. Um, but it just from that experience, I was just determined not to go down that path again um, and experience that again, because it was just the, the worst part about my bankruptcy was that it was completely my fault. I mean, it would be awesome for me to be able to tell you, well, you know, Alex, there was a, you know, there was a economic problem. There was no economic problem. There was no change in the marketplace. There was no new disruptive technology. It was just me being an idiot. Um, but conversely, the benefit of that was that was a problem I could actually address. (laughs) Um, so by just being frugal and, um, and just, you know, really learning, like, you know, just don't, there'll always be time to celebrate later, you know. I mean, first, just take care of all the things that are, like, most important. Um, and especially, it became even more incumbent on me as we grew, because Omega was a service business with a lot of employees. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, then it's not just my butt skating on the ice, you know, mm-hmm. it's, I'm, I'm making decisions on behalf of a large group of people who are, you know, paying bills for their, you know, their families and their kids and uh, making plans, you know, I mean, I think it's something maybe some employers like underestimate, like the importance of the commitment you make as an employer, provided the person's doing their job, of course, but, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're making a very strong commitment to someone. Um, and I was, like I say, I mean, I was, Determined and, you know, a little older, a little wiser. Um, but, but just, I, I don't know if I can encapsulate the takeaway 
better than just, you know, sorry, but like, just don't believe your own bullshit. Um, you know, and, and, but that's, I would say one of the number one mistakes people make is, is they, no one fools them. They fool themselves, Mm. you know, and that's, I mean, and that's the number one victim. I mean, I, I, there's a famous quote and I can't remember it exactly, but it's something like the lies we tell our others are nothing compared to the lies we tell ourselves. Mm. And I think that's particularly true, you know, so. Yeah, which is true, isn't it? I think it's kind of that denial, isn't it? And just, you know, and just um, pretending that everything is okay and, you know, and just kind of instead of stopping, looking realistically at what's going on, you know, and kind of putting everything together again and it's just kind of going full hog until you, which is what happened to you, I guess, you kind of burn out and you just go straight into into that, you know, into bankruptcy, you know, as, 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 as it happened, right? Sure. Yeah. So, um, what made you go into, you know, because uh, Omega Insurance Services specialized in your uh, fraud investigative investing company, right? Um, so, kind of, what made you go into that? Because it seems that the, the some of the industry that you were in before, and then kind of going into this, what was the the the, the reason behind it? In the setup was there like a previous interest within this kind of field? Um, I'd been in the business with some other guys. I'm really pretty agnostic as to business type. And I think mm-hmm. businesses, at least because I kind of view myself as like a business guy, yeah. um, rightly or wrongly. <laughs> um, maybe I'm in denial, but, <clears throat> um, and, but I, like I mentioned about event marketing, I mean, it's a, it's a blast. I mean, it's a, it's a bunch of fun running a business like that, but it's got a lot of moving parts and it can be very daunting. Um, there are easier ways to make a living. Um, and so I'd worked with a couple other fellows that I'd met. Um, they brought me in as kind of an admin, um, an IT guy to work, um, within their investigative business and I quickly saw that this was a business that had a lot of – it's you know, there's very low barriers to entry. I mean, in a lot of states in the U.S., I mean, getting a PI license basically requires about $90 and having no felonies on your record, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, two hurdles that most people can jump. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are a lot of people in the business, but not a lot of people in the business with a lot of business acumen. So, um, there was an opportunity to compete against people in a way that, um, we were much more capable technologically and otherwise than our competitors. Um, and I saw that in the company I was in, um, the two fellows I was working with were, nice guys, but probably a little more interested in going out and having a good time. Um, and I was more interested in trying to like, they were more where I was when I kind of lost the plot with my investigative or with my, um, event marketing business. Um, so I tried to get them to let me run that company. Um, Mm -hmm. and they weren't interested. So I left and started my own. Right. Okay. Um, and, uh, and, I mean, it was, uh, honestly, I mean, and it was one of the businesses where it's kind of like in the land of the blind, the one eyed man is king. I mean, I wasn't like some super investigative guy, but I was just well positioned for that moment in that industry. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So there weren't a lot of sophisticated players at that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and by bringing some things that would have been considered fairly standard in other industries, perhaps, um, you know, processes and things like that. I mean, we mm-hmm. ended up being considered, you know, much better than our competition. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I read, um, a little bit online and, you know, you were the, you know, the top two companies, you know, biggest companies in, in your field in, in the U S and, and, and as I mentioned before, you won, um, two awards, right. For, for fastest growing company. Um, I mean, that's, that's quite an achievement for, for you and, you know, to, to be able to, to build, you know, this, this company for yourself and having gone through, you know, through the adversity that you had, you know, with, with the previous company, learning those lessons, what did you do to, to, to get to that point, you know, to, to, to reach that success other than what you mentioned before, you know, were you, as a, as a business person, were you just kind of a very strategic person? Did you know? Because you mentioned you, you became a little bit more careful in in how you did business this time around. So was it more kind of putting the strategies together, or were you just a lot more kind of focused? And and you mentioned previously about you know when you recruited your accountant in let's just make money. You know which you know where were you? Or was it kind of a, a bit of mixture of both? Um, there was a ton of focus, um, and you know all the earlier adversity. Um, <clears throat> you know, for anybody listening that's going through like a messy business at the moment, I mean, you know, those messy businesses can often be lessons that you know they they might not seem very fun or instructive at the moment, but they can come in very handy later. Um, and so those lessons helped me focus, not only focus but focus on things that are important. Mm-hmm. Um, because, like, for me, you know, one of the things that happens just as a – I don't want to get too into the granular bits of the investigative business, but because you're performing a service, so people that are salaried are going out doing investigations, and then, you know, you're accumulating their work product, and then ultimately you bill your client for it. But so you can have, even though you're not running a factory, you can have kind of, quote-unquote, work in process. And that work and process can become very big where you've put out a lot of money, but you haven't built it. And so for me, one of the things that was core was being willing, you know, to take a case that we still had budget left on where I could tell we didn't have enough budget left to really do anything meaningful, just to wrap the case up and bill it so that we could keep the cash flow moving. Mm-hmm. Little details like that really matter. Um, because in a small business, I mean, cash is the only thing you're worried about. I mean, unless you're, you know, you got outside funding and I've never, I've never worked, um, I, or I've never run, I've worked in a outside funded business, but I've never run one. Um, and you know, so attention to things like that. And then, I mean, if you went back and we had explosive, <clears throat> absolutely explosive growth. And if you looked at it though, it was very tiered. You know, we'd get up, like we got up to a million and then we kind of like, we, we plateaued for a little bit and it wasn't plateaued so much from a marketing perspective as, you know, you're like building this car as you're accelerating in it, so to speak. So we got to, you know, a certain level and then you could kind of feel as the, as the guy running it, I could feel like the wheels are starting to come off this thing. So I try to build a little bit more infrastructure to hold the thing together. And then we get like to, you know, we said, we, you know, just talking round numbers, we'd get to 2 million. So then it's like, okay, now 
what worked, what was great and made us super solid at a million is no longer working. So let's, you know, let's, let's get some more duct tape, bailing wire, whatever. And let's like hold this thing together and get like, and then, and so this happened over and over again, um, where, and ultimately, I mean, one of the things that really tied the business together was it. Um, we built process in to the, like the, the process was baked into how we did business through our IT system mm-hmm. um, because we moved so much information. That was the core piece. Like the easiest piece to lose track of in that business would have been <coughs> your information flow. Mm-hmm. So by investing the money in IT, um, that made the business much more scalable um, than it wouldn't have been otherwise. So, um, I mean, Anyhow, so focus and then a lot of attention to details and paying attention to like looking around and seeing like what, what can I no longer really get my hands around? Um, and, and then asking yourself, well, what's it going to take to figure that out? You know, cause there's always an answer to every question. It's yeah. just figuring it out. Yeah. Yeah. No, fantastic. And I mean, you, you, you built the business quite successfully. And you know, two thousand and three, was that a was that a decision or was it a, a natural thing that happened that you then went on to, to sell the business uh, for 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 twenty million? I mean, how, what was that decision? Because it, it seemed as though you know the the business got to to a great place, you know, and you clearly had you know a, um, a great reputation in the marketplace, and you were doing very well. So, what happened there? You know, what was the decision to um, to then sell the business. Um, a little bit like the event marketing business. The investigative business was a great business, but it's not an easy business um, mm-hmm. because the talent goes home every night. You know, mm-hmm. so you have employee retention issues, and <clears throat> um, as the as a guy that came from nothing, um, you know, you have this asset, and we we anyhow we set out to sell it. Um, but part of my logic was, I mean, you know, I think I'll d- end up doing something else. I don't know what, um, but I don't want to have this much of an asset and not take the opportunity to sell at least part of it, if not all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we looked at, you know, private equity and we looked at outright strategic sale. Um, mm-hmm. We ended up getting a, a strategic sale. Um, and by doing that, <clears throat> I was just able to get myself out of the line of fire. I mean, I, for a guy that hadn't worked, I, if I'm honest with myself, I mean, I hadn't worked that hard up till then. I mean, I'd had times where I worked reasonably hard, but for the seven years of running that, I mean, I was kind of 90 to nothing almost all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, I was ready to, I was ready to get out of it. Um, I mean, even though, you know, it was an awesome business and great people, we had a blast. I mean, it was super duper fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know how to describe it. I mean, you know, you're on a game show and like so all of a sudden, you know, you're like, okay, well, you know, you're currently at 20. Would you like to keep playing or would you like to go home? <laughs> I think I'll go home. <laughs> 
I think that sounds good. I think I'll leave now. Thank you. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. And I mean, and what a great place to be, right? To you know, to to be in that position and you know, and, and to sell the company at um, I guess at its height. Um, now, the interesting thing before you know, before we you know, earlier on, we we were having a conversation, and, and you touched on afterwards once you sold the company. Um, you know, you you kind of took quite an interesting journey, you know. So talk to me about that. You know, once you kind of sold a business, did you carry on for a little bit and then, you know, slowly kind of exited from the business or, you know, once everything was done, it was a done deal, you then moved on completely? Well, I didn't have any contractual obligation inexplicably, to be honest. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I could have, the day we sold, I could have said, that was great, thank you. And I yeah. could have walked away. Um, and why they didn't tie me down, um, I have no idea. But I... I mean, just out of a sense of obligation to the people that work there, um, I stayed for six months. And um, so in February, um, end of February, I um, I wrapped things up. And, you know, it's interesting. I mean, I saw an interview one time with uh, Patrick Swayze. Um, some of the audience will know who that is. Um, and... He, in an interview, he said, if you want to screw up someone's life, um, make their de- dreams come true or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I mean, that really kind of happened for me. But it didn't happen, like, overnight. Um, but, you know, I mean, like, I ran a company and I was, like, you know, I was going to parties and having a great time. And, you know, and I was always got to be out late, you know, party. And then I'd get up in the morning and I'd go run, clear my head, and, like, you know, get on with things and, you know. But all of a sudden, this guy who, you know, liked to party didn't have anywhere that he had to be. Um, and I mean, it wasn't a cliff I fell off of. Um, but, you know, I started like drinking more and more and more. And then, um, I actually went through, was in the process of going through a divorce. Um, I'd moved to Sweden with my now ex-wife mm-hmm. and I remember sitting on our veranda one night and normally I'd wrap things up, you know, I'd have my last couple drinks and, um, and I'd go to bed and I'm sitting there and I just went, who cares? And that was an interesting moment because mm-hmm. that little who cares led to I mean, that's, that was really when the wheels kind of came off. Um, I mean, I, I, I would say that I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know if there, they, I mean, there's not really a textbook definition of like what gets you into recovery or mm-hmm. identifies you as somebody with a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but prior to that, I probably was capable of like reeling myself back in. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'd all, and I'd actually done that several times because I was a bit of a partier. So I had times in my life where I'd go, you know what? I'm drinking a little too much. I'm not going to drink for a year. Mm-hmm. And I would just not drink. Um, and it was no worries. Um, and, and I'd go back to it and, you know, uh, but then this period came and then I had that moment I just described and I, you know, things are getting like going on and on. And then, I'm just like, I'm kind of going deeper and deeper and deeper. And, um, and I mentioned to you earlier, <laughs> um, and this was the last year before, um, 
I, I got a, 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 my own personal seat at AA um, and started um, getting it together. Yeah. But it was, it was Christmas and, um, and everything was going to be shut for like three days. And, you know, I'd been kind of, I mean, it was a little bit like going back to the bankruptcy days, right? You know, a little bit of denial. Um, and uh, I'd gone into a liquor store and I was deciding how much I needed for me. There was no parties happening. How much I needed for me um, for these three days that everything would be shut. And I was like, well, you know, probably six liters of vodka would be enough. Mm. And as I had that thought, I was like, you definitely need help. Um, mm. And um, I didn't do anything, to be honest. I mean, I didn't do anything immediate. Um, mm. I tried to kind of fix myself um, mm. after that. Um, and what I made fixed myself like, okay, that's it. We're not doing, we're, we're done with this. And, um, and I'd make it a few days and then I would just kind of, it wouldn't work out. And, um, I was back in the U S and I deliberately had gone back because, um, St. Pete beach where I live actually has a ton of meetings. Yeah. And I was like, this will be, if I'm going to do this, this will be the perfect place. Cause there's hardly an hour of the day that you're not within an hour or two of having another meeting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, you know, perfect, perfect setting to, you know, um, get through this. And, um, you know, it was, I, some people have these like stories of, you know, wreckage and things like that. And I, I was, I was supposed to have a meeting with my accountant and I'd had like, you know, I, I wasn't drinking, I scaled back considerably, but I, had once again like promised myself I was going to not drink too much because I had this morning meeting and I got up and I felt like crap and I went, that's it. You're going to AA. Mm -hmm. And that, and then that was it. That was, that was the end of it. Um, and that's a little over seven years ago now. So, Mm -hmm. um, but you know, I mean, it, it's not a defining thing, but I think, you know, it fits into all these other things. Like, you know, there's the kind of life that you think you're going to live and, you know, you're going to have this, you know, the arc of your story is going to be, you know, you start low and then you just continually ascend and, you know, and there might be a few blips along the way, some setbacks, but, you know, it doesn't always work like that. Um, and I, and I think it's important you know, at least in my estimation, um, to not like beat yourself up too much about it. Like, um, I'm not proud that I did it or whatever, or, you know, um, but I mean, it's something that I just got to a point where, you know, (laughs) realized that, you know, I no longer had control of the problem. And, you know, that's the, that is the only criteria for a seat in AA, yeah. um, uh, is, is a desire. You don't even have to stop drinking. You just have yeah. to have a desire. Yeah. Um, and I definitely had that. So I qualified. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so I think it's, like I say, I mean, I, I'm not, I don't know if I'm really making a point here other than, um, for me, one of the hardest thing was just admitting that I had the problem. Yeah. Um, and that, but once I did, once I let go, um, and said, you know, I'm going to go into this thing and, um, and you know, and, and see if this is going to help me. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and I've had a very unconventional program, but I don't think there's necessarily, I mean, there's people that'll tell you there's a, the way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's, it's like making gumbo. I mean, everybody's got a recipe. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. so, um, but I, I got what I needed out of it and continue to go back to get that, mm-hmm. um, out of it. Um, but, I mean, I thank my lucky stars that I was able to identify the problem before it consumed me. Yeah. You know, if I mean, and I, what I don't necessarily mean in terms of my, like ending my life, but ending, you know, like perhaps, you know, financially setbacks or, you know, really doing damage or harm to my family and things mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. yeah. And, and most importantly as well, you know, your, your own personal health, you know, which, which is important, you know, and absolutely. And, yeah, and and I relate because you know I've I've I sit in the same seat, you know, and I've been there as well. And I think like you, I was very fortunate to still have the materialistic stuff. You know, I still had you know my place, and you know I still had a great job, and you know, and then life was 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 kind of going on. But for me, it was interesting that what got me here in the end was um, <clears throat> was that emotional bankruptcy. You know, that's what got me here. And it was making that decision that just said, okay, I've had enough. You know, I'm done. And, um, you know, it wasn't even, I, I didn't even see alcohol as a problem for me before. For me, it was, uh, it was everything else. You know, cocaine was the most, was, was the main one for me. That was kind of the, the, the huge one for years. And, uh, in the end, I even, I stopped using cocaine, but then I was cross addicted into other things and alcohol was what got me in here in the end, you know, and then kind of got me into, into looking at sobriety. But, um, thankfully, you know, like yourself, I was very fortunate not to lose my family. I did lose some friends, you know, and, and I lost a relationship that I was in before, but thankfully staying and, you know, working my program and, and, and living, you know, my life, um, you know, I've been able to to create an even better life. You know, a much better life than you know than than I had before. So, um, yeah, it's very interesting, and it's something that I didn't even know about you. You know, until <laughs> until probably a couple of minutes before we we you know we hit the record button. You know, which is really interesting. But it goes to show what a small world, right? And and how I'm starting to find that. It's becoming, and thankfully as well, it's becoming so much more common now, you know, where more and more people are coming into recovery for one reason or another. Well, you know, one of the things I think is interesting, um, uh, a friend of mine who I, who I absolutely love, um, but he, he was a, a marketing guy for me for years, and he said, you know, you really shouldn't talk about it. And I said, you know... <laughs> He said, because, you know, you could lose business over it. And I said, you know, anybody who's going to not do business with me because I went into recovery isn't somebody I don't want to do business with anyway. Um, You know, I mean, if they, I mean, are they worried like I'm going to relapse and like I'm going to mess up their social jukebox account? I mean, for one, it's not going to happen. But, you know, I mean, I think everybody is, you know, going through some kind of life journey at any given moment. And I, and for me, the importance of sharing it in the context of, you know, this, this isn't, I mean, I think people had for the longest time, I mean, I know growing up, I mean, if somebody said alcoholic to me when I was a little kid, I would have thought of like a hobo or some guy that was like, you know, eaten out of a trash can, you know, but you know, you don't, there's no particular demographic 
or, you know, skin color or whatever. I mean, there's no race, religion or creed or whatever that's attached to this. You know, it can affect anybody. And I mean, my two cents is, you know, and, and, and I'm not, well, like I'm not an anti-alcohol guy or whatever. I mean, there, I know plenty of people that can go, you know, have a martini or two and like walk away. And I mean, I, if I thought that I even had a prayer of doing that, I'd actually consider it. But I know that, that there is not a hope. that I, I mean, from when I ever first started drinking, I never wanted to go out and just have like one or two. Um, so, um, but anyhow, my main point, like in terms of like a kind of an educating moment or whatever, is that don't let there be shame in um, – in, in seeking recovery. I mean, the shame is to not do it. Yeah. Um, you know, because there are, I mean, I know a ton of people who are incredibly successful um, that, you know, and it's, I mean, I think there's kind of a, even the kind of maybe the pop culture thing is like, you know, that it's a lot of artists and things like that. But I, I know tons of business people, mm-hmm. super successful people that just, you know, kind of went off the rails Um mm-hmm. And, um, but managed as, you know, you did and I did, you know, they didn't, I mean, some of them went a little further down the pike than others, but mm-hmm. a lot of them, you know, got a hold of the situation, you know, realized they were having difficulty and, 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 and went to a meeting, got into a 12 step program and, you know, and their lives have been changed immeasurably for the better by doing that. Um, mm-hmm. so I think along with, Anything else in life, I mean, just like running a business, I mean, you know, some things you manage on your own and some things you can't. And I think, you know, if you find something like a substance abuse problem that you can't manage on your own, mm-hmm. I mean, there's no shame in getting assistance. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. And, and you know, everything that you've touched on there is the reason why, you know, I created this podcast, you know, is so that, you know, men can talk openly you know, about these things, you know, about our issues, you know, to be able to kind of get vulnerable and, and just to 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 show that, you know, men have the same emotions and feelings as women do. Women seem to find it a lot easier to communicate and, and open up and, and talk about all of their problems and, and their emotions. But for some reason, we don't. But it's interesting that anybody that I have met that comes into recovery they eventually, especially people who stay more, you know, more often than not, people who stay tend to become more vulnerable, more boundaried, you know, and they understand the benefit and the importance of being able to share things honestly and openly, you know, and, um, and the benefits from that is, is huge, you know, it's, it's massive to be able to really have those honest conversations. And I found, you know, by, by doing this, what I wanted to do most of all is to be able to give you know, a, a voice for, you know, for example, for you to come in and then talk about your successes and, and even now, like, you know, the, the downers and, you know, and, and the adversities that we go through. Um, but to, to always show that there is always a way out and there is no shame in that, whatever it might be. It doesn't have to be substance abuse. It could be anything, depression, fear, anxiety, you know, because we all go through those things. Um, you know, and I think, Let's use my thought process behind this was, look, you know, we've got such an amazing and incredible thing when it comes to technology. You know, I want to be able to use this 
the most effective way possible, you know, to, to be able to reach, you know, as, as many people as we possibly can, you know, and hopefully like it, like it happens in, in, in a room, right? You go and sit down in a meeting and you share, you know, a, a message of hope, faith and courage, or you share a message. And hopefully if one person listens, they might stay clean, you know, and then yep. I wanted to take a little bit of that to be able to help one of the listeners to, you know, whether they're struggling in business or whether they're going through the same thing as, as you have, you know, they've got a really successful business and maybe have just gone through exactly the same process and they've maybe hit a little bit of a brick wall, you know, something like this is, you know, I, I always find this is, is so powerful, really, really powerful. So thank you for, for sharing that because, um, that, that's something that, you know, I wasn't aware about. So, you know, and I really appreciate it. Really, really do. And, you know, it's, um, yeah, thank you for, for doing that. Yeah, no, I, I mean, and I agree with you. I mean, I think, I mean, for me, one, kind of an interesting byproduct, just a little side note, um, <clears throat> was the, and the hardest part of recovery for me was not so much not drinking again um, in and of itself was, facing an actual emotional moment without any shock absorbers. Mm. Um, and I can remember like, you know, cause the divorce was over. So I'm managing like seeing my kids and stuff like that after the fact, you know, and sometimes I'd have a little bit of a tense discussion with my ex and I hate to admit it, but I mean, I, I'd have to go lay down. I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd be, I'd be done and I'd be like, Oh man, what are all these feelings? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and you know and so that i mean that was like probably the most difficult part of recovery for me was i i was so unaccustomed to dealing with an honest emotion without you know kind of buffering it with um you know a few cocktails yeah. so um yeah. and uh yeah but it, it's you know i mean it was a little bit like almost like physical rehab. I mean, like a guy that hadn't walked on his legs for a while. I mean, I, you know, it took me a little while and then, you know, I wobbled around a little bit, um, you know, but then, you know, started walking normally again and, you know, now can actually have one of those conversations without going into the fetal position. Yeah. So yeah. It's all, it's all good. <laughs> yeah. That's right. And the thing is as well, you know, we, we, we learn that our emotions are not going to kill us. You know, we were giving them for a reason. You know, yes, sometimes they're painful, but I often say to people, you know, by being able to deal with your emotions and actually processing them, accepting them, you can let go of it quite easy. So, you know, I always use this little quote, you know, when I'm either working with clients or, or a sponsor or whatever, and I say to them, look, it's short-term pain, but it's long-term gain. You know, you will gain so much more from this, you know, long-term. You may not see it now because you're amongst it. And, you know, but you will find, and as you said, you're going to have some of those days, and I have, and sometimes I still do, where I just, I just can't, you know, I just can't physically deal with things, you know, and, but there's no reason or why, um, like yesterday, I just kind of got up and something just hit me, but it was only for a few hours, you know, I just kind of hit this low, and, but I've learned that, you know what, it's okay, it's just a low, you know, I don't have to, knock back a few shots of tequila or, you know, sniff a gram of cocaine to kind of numb that plane. Because, and you probably experienced this yourself, that once the numbness is gone, the problem is still there. So it's not going to go, right? You know, so 
And it's um, I, I find it fascinating, and, and I'd like to hear your opinion on this. Actually, um, my wife is also in recovery. She's my business partner, and she's um, uh, she's final year of a master's degree in addiction therapy and psychology. So we're always talking about this stuff, and you know, the more we read and, and research, I'm starting to kind of understand that you know, addiction is 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 like a learned behavior. You know, you know, you, you've learned something to the point where it's so ingrained into your mind that for you and for me, you know, for me to deal with my emotions and, and, and you know this, as soon as you become sober and clean, the one thing you have to deal with is you. You know, you have to deal with you as a human being. You have to learn to deal with those emotions. And what we were previously using before and what the brain remembered, what our solution was, it's no longer there. So what we have to do is kind of retrain our thought process, you know, and start to use, you know, other things, whether it's obviously the 12 step program was one of them, working with other people, you know, becoming fitter, putting yourself in, into work and, you know, mindfulness, prayer, meditation, so on and so forth. One of the things I found, or have you found this with, with the way things are at the moment with, you know, with technology, sugar being a huge thing as well. Do you think now that we should be educating people more around the addictive behaviors? Because it's very easy for us to be put in a box. You're an alcoholic, you're a drug addict, or you're a food addict, you're a sex addict. But there are so many other little things now that, you know, still trigger exactly the same behaviors. Have you found that? Oh, I gained a ton of weight. I mean, I started eating like a lunatic. Um, and, um, and I'd been, I mean, interestingly enough, I mean, you know, I had been a moderately successful, like local runner and triathlete, um, you know, earlier in life. And, um, but, you know, I mean, like, oh, no tequila. Well, does anyone have any ice cream? Um, and, and I, to your point, and I think this is something that it's interesting on a couple levels. I mean, one is that there, I mean, we went through a period of time where, I mean, people have always tried to make delicious food. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's not new. I mean, it's, you know, probably wasn't long after people figured out how to like, like started coming up with recipes or whatever, like trying to duplicate what they just made that they, you know, they try to get better at it and make mm-hmm. things taste better and better. But now we've reached a whole nother level, right? So now, I mean, you have people that are actually chemists um, that, you know, have food labs in big multinational companies mm-hmm. that design things to taste amazing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I don't think it's an accident that, you know, people can easily, you know, overeat, mm-hmm. you know, uh, whatever it is, because a lot of food is being, I mean, it's, it's designed to be addictive. I mean, and I'm not, I'm not trying to say that, like, that it's necessarily Machiavellian. I mean, I don't think there's anyone going, Oh, we're going to make them all gigantic, um, you know, or, or whatever. But I think, you know, you have people that are marketing and they, you know, like any, you know, they're going to try to sell as much stuff as they can. Um, so coming back around to your question, I think it really is important to realize that um, understanding the kind of choices that you make with regard to different foods um, and understanding 
you know, yourself as well. I mean, like, you know, I think I'm at least somewhat hardwired for going in excess in almost any direction. I mean, Mm -hmm. whether it's fitness or business or drinking or whatever, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's, I, I, if it's a skill, I got it. Um, so the, um, so, I mean, that's a little bit of self-knowledge, but I think there's a second piece. Like, for instance, you know, um, by losing the weight after, I mean, one of the things I found is just by eating kind of like normal whole foods, mm-hmm. you almost remove any tendency to overeat. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you don't ever see anybody going, I'm at home, I'm eating broccoli, and I can't stop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it just doesn't happen. You know, nature... Nature hasn't really designed foods to be – now, it might not taste as good as a, you know, a pint of Ben and Jerry's, um, but, uh, <laughs> it, I mean, for me, this uh, it was just remarkable just to say, okay, I'm, I'm only going to eat things like, you know, they're almost like a paleo diet, like, you know, stuff that mm. is in pretty much its natural form, right? Mm. Um, there's almost – you could overeat. I mean, I guess you could force yourself, but nature's got all kinds of mechanisms built in. Like if you consume enough fat, it makes you feel sated and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's once you move into the processed foods um, that you kind of, you know, veer off course. So anyhow, I'm pretty far afield from what you originally asked me, but there's, I mean, I think knowing about addiction is important in as much as, People, marketing has become, I mean, you know, I mean, there, I can't remember the fellow's name, um, but there's, there's, there's a book about how to make apps more addictive, um, how to make, you know, using your phone more addictive. I mean, it's, so there's people studying it on the other side of the equation. So mm-hmm. it's probably not a bad idea. I think the name of it, well, there's even a book about um, slot machines, video slot machines. It's mm-hmm. called Addic- Addicted by Design. Um, and it talks about that some people's video poker addiction is, at least I don't know how they measure these things, but is like equally strong to like a, a heroin addiction. Wow. Um because the people who are building these things, I mean, it's, they're built by psychologists and psychiatrists. Um, so I think it's incumbent on people as consumers to at least have some level of knowledge that, you know, there's not necessarily a fair fight being waged with consumers who are unaware of what's going on. But I mean, food technology, gaming technology, Computer technology, I mean, there's a million things being designed to make you do more. And I mean, right down to the ubiquity of social media. I mean, the the amount of information that Google and Facebook and Twitter and some of these companies have. And I mean, I do business with all these people, but Mm -hmm. um, I mean, all those little ads you see, you know, popping up from cookies and stuff they deposit on your browser and into your phone. these people know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is not so sorry. Let me just wrap up. I think it's super important for people to know about addiction because it's, it's a little bit like, um, 
there's an old quote, something like, you may not think about politics, but politics thinks about you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say you could modify that. Um, you know, you may not want to think about something. I'm making this up as I go. So um, mm-hmm. you may not want to think about addiction, but there are plenty of people wanting you to get addicted to things. Yeah. Uh, um, so it behooves you to kind of understand what those mechanisms are and what mm-hmm. people – as marketers, mm-hmm. um, whether it's food or technology, whatever that they're trying to do, so that you can at least have some foreknowledge to not go down that rabbit hole. Mm. Yeah, no, it's, it's no very, very good because it's it's um it is interesting how social media and you started touching on it very slightly, how powerful it is now. And I and I watched a video some time ago now about um, one of the very early engineers. Um, at Facebook, and he he was kind of one of the guys that helped to, to design and build Facebook, and then he left, and uh, he was doing a talk at Stanford University, I believe, and he said then, he said, we knew what we were building. We knew that we were building something where people were going to be addictive, you know, that it was basically going to consume, you know, a lot of people's personal time and that's what they wanted they wanted to create something where it allowed people to stay on there for hours on end and um it's really really interesting because they really have you know and and i remember when it first came out you know different types of social media and um you know and especially having the kind of the the personality i have when i like something i'm you know i'm either i'm all in or i'm all out you know and uh that's why for me, I have to kind of put boundaries in place when I'm doing stuff from a business perspective and from a personal perspective, you know, how much time am I spending, you know, on, on social media, because, um, it can really, really grip you, you know, and, and it's, um, using it in the right way, you know, to, to its advantage, you know, I think it's really, really important. Um, talk to me about your, your, your book, you know, you wrote a book, you know, alphabet success, um, Talk to me about, you know, about the book and what it's all about, because it kind of entails a little bit about your experience, you know, when you went through your bankruptcy run and then, you know, into your into your your, your success. Is that correct? Well, what I actually what it is, um, the reason it's called Alphabet Success, I took what I considered some key basic elements of business um, and I used the alphabet like A, B, C, D, E, F, you know, G, H, I. Mm-hmm. Um, to create acronyms to explain these concepts. And it was a way to kind of, a bit of a gimmick, I suppose, you know, to anchor them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like GHI, get highly inspired. Um, now, that might sound, I mean, there's, <laughs> the beauty and detraction of my book is that there's nothing in there that you probably haven't already thought of. Mm-hmm. Um, but, for the people that I've, that have read it and said to me, I already knew that my question is always, but are you doing it? Um, and very often the answer is no. (laughs) Um, because I mentioned, you know, very early on that, um, you know, I'm kind of agnostic as to business type. I mean, I, I just like business and I think there's a lot, a lot of, I mean, most businesses just, I mean, you do different things to ser- provide people a service of some kind and 
how they pay you and how you get paid and who you pay, you know, and how that can structure P&L um, changes from business to business, but a lot of the fundamentals are the same. Um, and so my point, you know, with these lessons in the book is these are the things that are elementary, but easy to forget. And if you, if you do forget them, they are things that can bring you down. Um, and, you know, I mean, like forgetting, you know, to say thank you to clients and, you know, not having a way to keep yourself inspired. Um, I mean, that, you know, people might go, well, you know, you just got to get in there and do it. Well, you know, that's easy to say, but, you know, you grind away at a business for, you know, two, three, four years, you know, you're still trying to see profitability, whatever, you know, sometimes you need a way to like bring yourself up. Yeah. Um, so in any event, without like just going through the whole book, um, the idea was to try to give people those core things in a way that they'd be anchored to the acronym, that they could walk away and kind of make sure that they could, you know, kind of audit their business and make sure they had some way to account for these things. Because I think business really isn't that complicated. I mean, of course, there are technologically complex businesses, but the core of it, I mean, hasn't changed that much from a guy that was selling cinnamon in a middle eastern market you know 2000 years ago um you know this guy always has good quality he's always a nice guy he extends me credit he makes it easy he sells me smaller quantities whatever you know there's a million different variations on the theme but what made that guy successful as a merchant then is probably the same thing would make somebody successful as a business person today um so i think that was the idea was to put together a small group of things that I think are important to execute on if you want to have a successful business. And that's the book. Excellent. So what would be your, your advice for startup CEOs, you know, having been through, you know, having been in business for such a long time, you know, and, and having gone through kind of the ups and downs and the successes, you know, anybody who is at that, starting point the new phase the infancy stages of you know of business as you said there is always a baseline and i think you know in life there is a baseline right as long as we follow the basics you know we'll stay alive you know and what would be your advice for somebody who 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 is thinking about starting their own business or somebody that has started their own business you know and doesn't quite understand you know what those basics are what would be your advice to them my biz- biggest piece of advice, and this has become a, like a bit of a mantra with me, is forget the big idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say that the business I mentioned that I wasted 15 grand on or like mm-hmm. spent 15 grand, I shouldn't say wasted, um, was the idea was that you would send me your resume, I would put it into a database, and I would market that database to employers. And this is in the early 80s when PCs just came out. And you said database people. I mean, the point is, it was a great idea for a business. Mm -hmm. And if I'd hung on, if I'd, if I'd kept at it, and especially if I'd kept at it and got it onto the internet, then I'd probably be telling you about how I sold the business for a zillion dollars. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but the, the problem with a business like that, and that's how my 15 grand and I got separated is completely underestimating the difficulty in explaining a new idea to an audience. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And in a world as busy and noisy as ours is now, um, it can be hyper difficult to even get anyone's attention, let alone explain something big to them. And then on top of that, for many people that are wanting to do this, like me at that time, I had no real business experience with anything sizable. I mean, I'd run like, you know, I had a, I had a tutoring business, you know, and I, you know, sold, you know, like done selling newspapers and, you know, stuff like that. I mean, I'd done some pretty easy stuff um, that I cut my teeth on a little bit, but I didn't have anywhere near the experience I needed to take on something like this. So, you know, my point is, you know, I mean, what what business did I make it? I mean, private investigations was not new. Um, you know, that was not a new business. And I think, you know, if people are looking for someone more inspiring than me, um, I mean, take Richard Branson. Branson, he ha- he doesn't start businesses in new fields. Airline, railways, Virgin Mobile. The guy brings fun and good execution into existing markets. And by doing that, he takes away a segment of the market and then he ends up very often either selling part or all of it to someone else down the road. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, take some lessons from that in that you don't have to validate an idea or spend a zillion bucks trying to make someone understand what you're doing. I mean, if you came up with the idea for, you know, Alex's awesome mobiles in the UK and, you know, the whole point was there was this like super easy way to, you know, top up your phone or, you know, like customer service is just amazing, whatever it is, you know, and there's so many businesses that are underserved, um, you know, where the, the existing market participants, there may be a lot of them. Don't worry about there being too many people in the marketplace. Mm. Only worry if the marketplace is filled with people who are great. Mm. I mean, I wouldn't recommend going against Amazon. <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, I mean, there's, there's plenty of businesses that are just not well run. Um, and, you know, don't, don't have good contact with their clients. Don't have a good way to, I mean, a lot of, you know, um, a, a good example is like, and there's companies that have started doing this a bit in the States, um, like, like a plumbing company. And now you've had these professional service business oriented people come in and start to try to provide structure so that there's training for the guys that show up at your house to do plumbing so that they put on little booties and they don't drag dirt into your house and they clean up after themselves. They get some basic training on how to interact with you. Mm-hmm. Um, just as an example, so my, uh, and I'm sorry, I'm like being very long winded answering well, questions here, but, um, it, I think there's so many businesses that need help. Um, and if you're willing to be, you know, not a purist and have your big idea how you're going to revolutionize the world with this new thing, you can very often revolutionize the world by just doing an existing thing differently. I mean, McDonald's wasn't the first company that sold burgers, um, but it worked out pretty well for Ray Kroc. Um, So, you know, I mean, and that's, I mean, that's a small example, but there's, you know, there's a zillion 
things like that where people can go into an existing market, which there's already money being spent, and you just need to offer people something they can't get somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, <laughs> I won't say anything more about it because I've already said too much, but don't, don't fall in love with the idea that you got to have a big idea. You'll, you'll have a much easier life by doing a modest, tangible improvement on an existing idea. Yeah. Well, fair enough. Oh, that's great. Thank you. Um, with regards to, I want to talk a little bit about your, your aspirations as a, as an athlete. Um, you know, talk to me about that. You know, what, what's, um, what's kind of your, your, your sport of choice and, you know, and, and where are you sort of, yeah, where are we there, you know? Well, you know, I was a runner before, um, mm-hmm. as I mentioned, and a, and a triathlete. Um, and I've been a little bit frustrated that I haven't seemed to be able to, I mean, I'm not like horrible, um, but I haven't really been able to run at the same level in my age group where I did before. Um, and I think it's a byproduct of, I I need to lose a little bit more weight. Um, and you know, probably need to like swap out my training and, and, you know, and it, if I'm honest, it is harder. Um, you know, life's very forgiving for a 27 year old, you know, or even 37 year old. But when you're 57, you know, cranking up the metabolism isn't quite as easy um, as it was previously. So, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't envision myself as being any kind of world beater, but um, there are tools online where you can do like age adjusted, um, like look at your age adjusted times and like what percentile I should be in. And I used to be in like about the 70th percentile mm-hmm. um, when I was, you know, when I was running in my twenties and thirties. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to get back because now I'm probably like middle of the pack. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not, I'm not satisfied with that. I mean, I'm happy to be out there, you know, I'm doing something which is more, much more than a lot of people are doing. Yeah. Um, but I mean, that's, that's my goal is to, shed the weight and, you know, be running in the one forties for a half marathon. Um, again, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I ran when I was 49, I ran a one thirty nine in Amsterdam. Um, mm-hmm. so I don't know if I'll repeat that. Um, you know, perhaps, perhaps not, but, um, anyhow, it gives me something to grind at. Um, yeah. and, uh, yeah, so are you, so, going, are you going to be going down the, the marathon route or down the, the triathlete route? Probably a bit of both. Um, and I, I won't, I won't, I've run one marathon and I, I wouldn't do it again. Um, I actually, I, I want, I have some goals to run for a half, but I want to do them by the time I'm 60. And then I want to start running shorter distances mm-hmm. and, inc- and increase my swimming. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, probably me just playing it safe with wear and tear on my body mm-hmm. um because you can swim in my experience you'll be exhausted long before you're injured um mm-hmm. with swimming um mm-hmm. but with running and i love running i mean it's much more my favorite over swimming but um i just 
I just know that I, or I have my own theories about, um, super long distance running with age. You know, I think, I think you can run into some mobility problems and I, I want to be fit and everything, but I, I'd like to be able to have my mileage low enough as I'm getting older that I don't run into any issues. Yeah, uh, fair enough. I was funnily enough talking to my wife about this um, a couple of days ago that I'd like to to do a triathlon. Um, <clears throat> I recently got into CrossFit about uh, ten months ago, and um, and I just got hooked. Absolutely, I just absolutely love it. You know, it, it's such a great sport. Um, the community is very similar to you know the the fellowships and. Uh, Funnily enough, there is a lot of a lot of people who are in the fellowships now going into CrossFit because of that sense of community and you know getting fit as well, um, which is great. You know, it's absolutely fantastic. And one of the things as I started to get my fitness level, you know, up, um, it popped into my head about you know doing a triathlon, something I really, really want to try. I've never really done it. Not from uh, I can do the bike, I can do the running. It was the swimming. I'm not, I can swim. I'm just not a very confident swimmer, especially kind of in, in open water as well. But, um, I'm going to overcome my, my fear. I'm going to go out there, put my pride aside. I'm going to start taking some lessons and, um, yeah, I'm going to get one booked. It's a total, total technique sport. So, I mean, I actually couldn't swim with my face in the water, um, in my, when I was 20. Um, and I went and I, um, found, a someone who was on the U S Olympic team to, um, teach me basically like, I mean, this is before we had all the cameras and everything. They like at the university of Miami, they had like an underwater observation place mm-hmm. where they could like watch your stroke and stuff. Um, and, but I mean, I'm not great by any stretch, but you know, I hold my own, um, in the water now. And, uh, and I can tell you that for me, it's not, it's not about like strength and all that. I mean, technique is, is the key. And once, and once you have it, mm-hmm. it's, it's a beautiful thing because you'll, I mean, it's, it's kind of the riding a bike. I mean, and you'll be able to carry that on forever. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, if you decide when you're 70 that you want to be, um, you know, like cranking out laps at the pool, um, you know, that, that you'll still be able to avail yourself of that. So it's, it's a, it's an investment you'll get a lot, very long-term benefit from. Yeah. No, I definitely want to, want to do it. And I think that's the beauty for me that I found, you know, coming into recovery, everything all of a sudden is, you know, becomes, uh, you know, um, just becomes attractive. You know, I've always been the, the type of person, I, you know, I can put my hand to, to anything, you know, so, uh, and now that I, I, have the opportunity to do it i always say to myself well why not let's just go for it let's do it you know so it's just become this thing now so that's my next my next challenge amongst a few others yeah awesome no well you have to keep me posted that's that's exciting and i think you'll be you'll be amazed like once you get some fundamental things down how it's not it's not really all that complicated but a few basic things just make a huge difference in becoming efficient in the water. Yeah, no, definitely. No, you see, so I'm, I'm, yeah, I think it's just confidence more than anything else for me. It's not lack of ability. I think it's just confidence. And as you said, technique, 
Um, you know, I've never really had lessons when I learned to swim. I literally just jumped to the pool and that was it. You know, how kids learn to swim. Uh, so listen, I want to say thank you so much for, for, for taking the time to speak to me. I really, really enjoyed talking to you. You know, we, we covered an, an array of, of things. And, um, I guess from, from me, do you have any kind of last, I always ask people, you know, do you have any sort of last words of, of, of wisdom? And I guess we can cover two things here, you know, from anybody who is kind of struggling at the moment, you know, whether it's life or, or from an addiction perspective, and also um, going back to, to the business side of things as well. Um, you know, I do a video quote, not every day, but nearly every day on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And the one I did today um, actually relates to your question. Um, and it's, not all storms come to disrupt your life. Some to clear, some come to clear your path. And I think that's a great maybe parting message. And that is, you know, whether it's, you know, a problem in your business or, you know, you're struggling with, you know, a substance abuse issue or, or whatever struggle or problem you're dealing with. I mean, and it's, it's, it's very often not clear to us when we're in the middle of the quote unquote storm, mm-hmm. um, that how it's going to benefit us. But I think there's an important element, you know, to just, I mean, write it on your mirror so you can see it every day, but it'll pass. Mm-hmm. But the, but the lessons will stay if you choose to keep them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and for me, you know, as we've talked about, I mean, I've gone through, a zillion different, like I've driven my kind of metaphorical car into every pothole I could conceivably seem to find, but I've still ended up doing pretty well, Mm. you know? So life isn't necessarily about like, you know, never hitting a pothole or never hitting um, a problem or, you know, never going through a storm. It's about being able to come out the other side a, be- a better navigator or, you know, a better business person or whatever it is on the other side. So whatever it is you're going through, don't think the problem is what will define you. It's what you learn from it that will define you. Yeah, no, perfect. And let's leave it right there. Thank you so much, Tim, for, for, for coming down. And, um, yeah, it was an absolute pleasure to, to, to speak to you and, and to finally meet you as well. It's like we had a little mini meeting, man. It was awesome. Yeah, we did. We did. That was pretty cool. Completely unexpected as well. So Exactly. Yeah, absolute pleasure. Um, so, guys, listen, thank you so much for listening and, and taking the time to, to be here with us. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you've got any questions for, for me, then go to our website, www.happyaslarrygroup.com. Uh, before I forget, Tim... If people want to have a look at Social Jukebox, where can they find it? Um, you can go to socialjukebox.com um, and have a look and, you know, let me know what you think. You can reach me directly, um, Tim at socialjukebox.com, T-I-M at socialjukebox.com. That's my email. You won't get a response from an assistant because I don't have one. Um, you'll get a response from me. And, um, and if you want to check out my Twitter account, which is where I spend most of my social media time, um, my account is at Tim underscore Fargo, F-A-R-G-O. Um, and I'm happy, you know, if you have a question about social jukebox, you have a question about what we talked about, whatever it is, I'm, 
I'll try to answer. And if I can't, I'll try to find someone who can. Fantastic. Great stuff. Listen, guys, have an amazing day, evening, and I'll speak to you again very soon. Take care.